Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us today at Infused Church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor and I'm one of the pastors here. Today we're concluding our 15-part series called 15. And we are concluding it in one of the most important ways possible, and that is with the last command Jesus gave before his death. And in it, I think whether you're a Christian or not, you'll find something extraordinarily compelling, true, and life-changing. So stick around to find out more. We all have, um, to varying degrees, unspoken rules, don't we? Um, at least they're unspoken until someone breaks them, and then we speak about them, and we let them know that they should not be touching our food, or they should not be chewing with their mouth open. At least that's my pet peeve. Then there are the spoken rules, right? They're a little bit more obvious. Um, in eighth grade, my uh, history teacher, uh, Mr. Newman, had one rule for his class. Can you imagine that? An eighth grade class with just one rule. I mean, that's incredible. You need at least 10 to try to control middle schoolers, I would think. But he just had one, and I thought it was so good, at least at first. That one rule was one word, very simple, and it was this right here. Respect. Respect. That's all you had to do. You just had to um, respect him, right? You had to respect your classmates. You had to respect your, cla uh, your textbooks and so on and so on. And, then, and he wrote it up, and it was there the entire semester. He wrote it up in the corner, left-hand corner of the whiteboard. And I just sat there in awe at the brilliance of this rule, trying to figure out a way around it. Not because that was the person I was. I wasn't going to do anything, but it was just so incredible. It could, couldn't be that good of a rule. And then, my friends, I found a way around it. I found the loophole, and here's how it went. Mr. Newman, if you respect me, then you would not assign me any homework. <laughs> Long story short, I had homework. Um, it didn't do a thing, and that is, uh, in fact, actually a and very important part of this rule, or really any rule for that matter. Because the problem is, as every rule, um, it's a matter of perspective. Depending on who is, the, whatever, the eye of the beholder, if you will, or if you have uh, traveled much, it's a cultural thing. Respect may look different in different countries because that's just what's socially acceptable in that context or what's socially acceptable here in America or what's socially acceptable in the classroom. For any rule, whether simple or complex, any rule to be successful, it requires something that's very, very important. That way it doesn't get caught up in this like matter of perspective thing, that it requires um, a higher power, some sort of higher power essentially to define the bounds of what is respect. And in this case, Mr. Newman defined it essentially like this. Mr. Newman, the higher power, said respect is, or in, in essence disrespecting Taylor, would look like not assigning him homework. Because I respect Taylor's ability, his need to grow and learn, and therefore I will assign him homework. Because he was the ultimate authority in the classroom. He defined what this rule really meant. 
And now today, in the conclusion of this 15-part series that we've been doing all summer long, and in the conclusion of this season that we're in, it's just season three, there's three parts of season three, the conclusion today, God, through Jesus, is going to play the higher power. And Jesus is going to establish the most important rule, very simple, the most important, very simple rule, the guiding ethic that we are, those people who decide to follow him, should live by. Now, if you're not a Christian, that's completely okay. You can take it or leave it, what we're going to talk about today. But I think it is incredibly compelling that it's worth you, at least, considering it. Now, for this guiding principle, we have to rejoin Jesus where we've left off with him. At least in this season, we left him in a little-known house in Jerusalem. And the reason that they were in this house is because uh, they were essentially hiding from the Jewish religious leaders at the time who had very clearly said, um, as we read earlier, that they wanted to kill Jesus. Because in their minds, Jesus was a threat. They weren't really sure who Jesus was. And everybody loved Jesus, and they didn't love them. And so they had a lot of layers of problems going on with Jesus that they just wanted to get rid of him. And so Jesus is in the upper room, and he is sharing his last meal with his disciples, which just happened to be Jewish Passover. And so far during the meal, we have learned a lot, in the last two weeks at least, that Jesus told us, and we read this, we read this in Matthew, um, that he would be the sacrifice, that he would make available, okay, completely your decision, but he would make available to each and every one of us an agreement or a covenant, a new one between God and all of man. And the details were very simple. Everyone would be forgiven for everything they've done, for everything that they will do, so long as they trust Jesus. And they trust in the covenant that he outlined in the meal, which we talked about two weeks ago, and then we dove into the thing that kind of kicked it all off, or kicks it off, or allows you to enter into that covenant, which was trust, that you just simply have to trust that Jesus was who he said he was, and believe in the covenant that he stated. Very simple. And it really is an incredible deal, as we talked about. And if you missed the last two weeks, I wish that you would at least go back and listen to the last two weeks, because I think it'll help make sense uh, a little bit more what we're talking about this week. Um, And you can do so on our website or on our app. But it is so incredible, because as we said last week, the deal that God offers us, the deal that Jesus told us about, is a deal that we would rarely, if have ever, or will ever, even extend to our closest friends— or family. Because, I mean, come on, the idea of forgiving your friends for everything that they have done and everything that they will do is a pretty tall order. Forgiving your family for everything they have done to you or will do to you in the future is a pretty tall order, especially because you don't know what they're going to do. But yet Jesus said, forgiveness to all if you just trust in me. It's an incredible thing if you just look at it even in that perspective alone. But Jesus wasn't done yet. He doesn't just stop at the forgiveness of the world, which is kind of an incredible idea. He doesn't stop there. Um, and, And many of us, honestly, would be content if we could just find forgiveness towards certain relationships in our lives. I mean, wouldn't you? Or, in other words, or the other way around, is to receive forgiveness from certain people for maybe some things you've done in the past would mean a lot, would be a great step forward in your life. 
But Jesus doesn't even stop at forgiveness of the world. He takes it to the next level. He's going to establish this incredible command that anyone who follows him should really pay attention to. In fact, it's one of the most, if not the most important thing that someone who trusts him, who follows him, should do. And Jesus, in his master teacher style that he has going on, he doesn't say it, at least to begin with. He acts it out and gives us the opportunity, gives his disciples, whom he's acting it out before, an opportunity to wrap their minds and their hearts around it before he tells them what it even is. So we find ourselves back at dinner, okay, Passover meal is over, they're in the house in Jerusalem, and Jesus got up. According to John, John, uh, the apostle who followed Jesus, he was one of Jesus' closest followers. Jesus had three closest, then he had 12 who really followed him, and then he had crowds of people who followed him. And John was one of the closest, and John writes to us and tells us that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And this is the point where his disciples' eyebrows started to raise, as I hope yours would too if you were at a dinner party and somebody stood up and started taking out their outer clothing and putting a towel around their waist. Hey, what are we doing? Going to the hot tub or something? I'm not really sure what's going on. Jesus, what are you doing? What do you got going there, man? Then after that, John goes on, after that, he poured water into a basin. And this was probably the moment that Jesus' disciples maybe started to connect the dots a little bit and maybe figured out a little bit or at least could insinuate what was going on. Because most homes, when you came in from the streets, there would be a basin of water at the door. Because you lived in a very arid, dry, hot environment. So you would wear sandals everywhere you went. And so at the very best, when you got home from running to Menards or to Hy-Vee, your feet would be very smelly and dirty and covered in dust. And at the very worst, you accidentally stepped in some donkey poo on the way, and so you got to wash that off when you get home. At least I hope you would. Some of you may not, but I hope you would. So when you walked in the door, you wash your feet. Now, for whatever reason, they didn't do that when they got to the house. Maybe it's because they were in the hurry. They didn't want anybody to see them, so they just kind of all came in and didn't do it. But Jesus gets out this basin that they know what it's for and starts pouring water in it. So at, at least at first, they're thinking, well, maybe Jesus is going to wash his feet off. And then John says, Jesus began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now get that imagery in your head, and maybe you grew up with this story, so maybe it's kind of familiar. You've seen pictures that artists have depicted of this moment of Jesus kneeling at the feet of each and every one of his disciples carefully washing their feet and drying them off. And I don't know what happened, but my guess would be, given the culture of those days, everyone in the room was stunned. Because Jesus was the leader. He's the rabbi. He's the teacher. If anyone should be washing anyone's feet— it would be his disciples washing his feet. Or even that was a little bit too far. What most likely would normally happen is a servant, at most, or likely a slave would be the one that would be washing the feet as people came in the door. So what was happening here was a big cultural no-no. 
And Peter, who always acted, always spoke before he thought, gives us the insight to the tension in this moment. Because as Jesus came to Simon Peter, John says, who Simon said to him, Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not know, you do not realize, excuse me, now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Oh, Jesus, okay, I think I understand enough. You're washing my feet, and I can just tell you right now, that's going to be a big no. No, Peter said. Jesus, I don't even care if you are saving the world. You will not, in fact, never wash my feet. That's not how this is supposed to work, Jesus. This is not culturally right. It is not our tradition to do it this way, and I am not worthy. You're the rabbi. You're the holy person, not me. And Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, have you not been paying attention the last few years we have been together? I mean, my whole thing is not maintaining tradition. And not for the sake of, like, renewing tradition, but for the sake of what is right. I mean, Peter, were you not there when I redefined what sacred was? Sacred in the past was cleanliness and sacrifice and the temple. And now it's you and the person next to you. Peter, were you not there when I predicted the fall of the temple? The end of ancient Judaism as the world knows it. Ancient Judaism does not exist today in 2018 because of what Jesus predicted would happen just a few short years after he left. Jesus was redefining tradition. Not to mention, Jesus would say, not to mention, Peter, if you stick around for just a few more hours, you will see, you will see how much I care for, how much I'm willing to give up, how much I am willing to do for you. In fact, if you think washing your feet's a big deal, you haven't seen anything yet. Because, because, if you want to have something to do with me, if you want to know what it means to follow me, it starts right here in this moment, with what I'm doing. And Jesus punctuates that even more with this statement. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. That's a strong statement. But Jesus was making the point, if you don't get this one thing that I am doing correctly, none of the rest of it will matter. Then, Lord, Simon Peter says, then, Lord, not just my feet, Don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Lord, just give me a bath. Just clean it all, Jesus. And Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Because that's all that's gotten dirty so far, Peter. Are you tracking? Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew, John goes on, he knew, next slide, 
He knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. Essentially, he was referencing Judas, which we'll get to in a second. Jesus is like Peter. Getting your feet clean, the actual act of cleaning your feet is about 2% at best of what's going on here. 2% of the point that I am trying to make. Peter, this is a matter of your heart. This is a matter I am symbolically showing you through the washing of your feet. The matter that's going on in your heart. Because, see, Peter, the reason that not everyone is clean is because not everyone in the room has a clean heart. Because there's someone in the room, Peter, who has a malicious heart, a selfish heart, as we'll get to in just a minute. Jesus then clarifies everything he's been saying with this statement. He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. This is this moment where Jesus is stepping into the authority. This is this moment where Jesus takes their assumptions and defines them. He says, I am teacher, I am Lord, I am in authority. And I want to be really clear here so that no one in the church ever gets this wrong again. That you can disagree on a lot of things, but when it comes to this one thing, I want to be very clear. I'm washing your feet, and so you too should wash the feet of one another. And if that wasn't clear enough, I want to just be really clear. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. In other words, y'all should go out and wash people's feet. Why? And Jesus tells us why, and it shouldn't be a surprise if you've been through this series or spent much time here at Infuse. Why? In fact, he gives us the reason why a few verses later. He says, a new command I give you. And this word new in the Greek isn't always necessarily new as it is just something unusual, unexpected. A new, unusual, unexpected command that you are not used to, that doesn't fit into your normal culture. Love one another, as I have loved you, as I have set the example for you, you too must love one another. Who's one another? Everyone's one another. See, if we trust Jesus, then we should love like Jesus. And that means washing people's feet if necessary. Yeah, but Taylor, time out. Feet are unpleasant. You are not wrong. Feet are smelly, Taylor. Again, not wrong. Feet, or washing someone's feet, could be a little uncomfortable, Taylor. You're not wrong. But neither was the cross. The cross was not comfortable. And Jesus is saying, when you look at how I have loved you, I want you to remember this moment when I have gotten on my hands and knees and washed your feet. 
And if it was at any point unclear what my expectations are, what it means to follow me, I just want you to look at the cross. And then look at the cross and remember this. Love one another as I have loved you. What did I do to love you? Oh yeah, that's right. I died for you. That is the extent at which you should love one another. Even if this, okay, even if this is a passage you have heard a hundred times, you had to memorize it maybe in Sunday school growing up, I don't know. This is a statement with almost unending implications, profound implications. Because Jesus, in this moment, is washing the feet of the truly imperfect, truly broken people of the world. The truly imperfect, broken people in that room, in that moment. I mean, think about this. Judas, the man who sold Jesus out to the religious leaders so that they knew where he was, away from the crowds, so they could come and arrest him, washed his feet, full well knowing what Judas would actually do. The man who sold Jesus out for his selfish desires. Have you ever felt like someone in your life has ever sold you out or sold a part of you out for their own selfish desires? Essentially, you got used. They took advantage of you. Ever felt that before? They went behind your back and caused you harm. Ever had that before? Jesus would say, wash their feet. Wash their feet. Because, he goes on, because by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Love one another. Wait about, what, what about going to church? No, we talked about that last week. If you, if you weren't here, check it out. If you love one another. If you want to know if someone's a Christian, if you want to know if someone's a disciple of Jesus, you just ask the question, do they love one another. Jesus would say, wash their feet. Wash their feet. Why? Because that's what love requires. Peter, come on, Peter. If you grew up in church, you know Peter. If you were Catholic, he's kind of a big deal. Saint Peter, Apostle Peter, big deal guy, okay? Pretty much you know, if you grew up a Catholic, you believe that he just was like in charge of everything, which he was in charge, but maybe not quite that extent. Peter, I mean, think about Peter's situation. The people in your life, the people whom you watch, and they are trying to improve, they're trying to improve, they're trying to improve, but they just keep missing the mark. They say they're a follower of Jesus, some of them, but then you watch their behavior, and it's like, yeah, but you're not doing what Jesus told you to do, so are you really a follower of Jesus? I'm not sure you're there yet. At least, not where I want you to be. Because if we're honest, that's really part of it, isn't it? It's not their problem, it's your problem with them. At least in part. The part is, other people just don't always meet your expectations. Other people inconvenience you. Other people do not always provide for your needs. Even if Jesus said that they should, then they don't. And that's frustrating. Leaves you a little upset, doesn't it? You find yourself judging them a little bit. Maybe a little bit of pride 
in your heart? So much so that sometimes there's a part of you and a part of me that just wants to hit them upside the head with a little truth. Right? You just want to go in there and you're like, I'm just going to drop this bomb of truth right in your face. It's going to blow up. It's going to hurt you, but somebody's just got to tell you. Ever wanted to do that? You imagine that? You play that out in your mind? Doing that to someone else? Or if you're really feeling it, you'll just quote some scripture at them. Because nothing is more convicting and inspiring than getting scripture quoted to you. At least in a negative way. Because that'll fix them, right? Remind me again, what, what did Jesus do? He washed their feet. That's what Jesus do, did. That's what Jesus does. That's what he did for Peter. Peter, who said to Jesus just a few verses later, Jesus, I will give my life. I will lay my life down for you, Jesus. And what did he do? When that moment came, he ran away. When a middle school girl confronted him about his trust in Jesus, he said, I don't trust him. I don't even know who he is. I'm not even from around there. I'm just here. I'm just hanging out. That person? Do you think that person could have been a disappointment to Jesus? Do you think Peter could have been a disappointment to Jesus in that moment? And what did Jesus do? He washed their feet. He washed his feet. Not, he did not grit his teeth and prove to the world that he could suck it up for two minutes to wash somebody else's feet. He did not go get a gift card for a pedicure, give it to Peter, and say, hey, here, I washed your feet. Jesus didn't even get angry with Peter. He didn't even quote the Bible, in part because the Bible didn't even exist yet. It wouldn't come along for 300 more years, but he didn't even quote the Bible to Peter. You want to know what Jesus was? Jesus was heartbroken. And that's the difference between a prideful heart, an angry heart, a resentful heart, than Jesus' heart. Jesus didn't have that. Jesus was brokenhearted. Why? Because Jesus loved Peter. And when you really love someone, come on parents, when you really love someone who falls short, at first, the, the, the first moment you hear about it, before the anger comes, you're just brokenhearted, aren't you? You just feel bad for the decision that they made. You feel sad. You're sorrowful. Why? Because you loved them. Love does not lead to anger, at least quickly. Love is not hateful. Love is brokenhearted. A broken heart spurs you to things like compassion and forgiveness and compromise and conversation. Not to ostracizing someone, pushing them away, or anger. In the moment that Jesus was about to tell Peter that Peter would betray him three times, and Peter's like, no, no, I'm going to lay my life down for you, all that stuff. Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and washed Peter's 
feet. Why? Why do you wash their feet? He told us a new command. I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you too must love one another. Yeah, but, but, but Jesus, Peter was in the wrong. You were in the right. Peter should be washing your feet like as an apology or something. I mean, you're better than Peter. This is the other way around. That's what your heart calls you to do sometimes, doesn't it? It just kind of teases you out. No, no, it's the other way around. You should like be hard on them and come down and they'll be, they'll be really, up, they'll get it then if you're just really upset with them. Just really let them have it. Jesus is like, this is not a matter of who is greater. Washing someone's feet does not make you less than them. It's just simply being in service to one another. Serving other people comes out from love. You're just simply in service to one another. Jesus makes a profound point that in your brokenness, especially in your brokenness, especially in your brokenness, Jesus' love compels forgiveness, compels inclusion, patience, kindness. The list goes on. So what does your love compel? What does your love for others compel you to do? What does your love for others, the people in your life that you love, what does it compel you to do? Or a different question, and I hope a broader question, a question that may apply to those whom you don't, at least at this point, love, at least how Jesus loved, what does love require of you? The question that we introduced a few weeks ago, and a year before that, and a year before that, what does love require of you? You've probably heard this well-known passage, um, Jesus, it's this profound statement where Jesus is talking about the future and what's important and what's to come, and Jesus talks about what this looks like. And Matthew gives us uh, recalls this for, for us. He says, Jesus stood up and said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Familiar? In other words, if you see someone that's hungry, feed them. And this word hungry, pay now, that's what it is, pay now, which I think is kind of interesting, pay now. Hungry? In the Greek, it can mean a whole assortment of things, not just physical hunger. It can mean things like spiritual hunger. What if somebody in your life is seeking more, asking questions, wanting to understand and wanting to grow? So often what I hear in response is, well, I just don't know enough to help them. Listen, there was a time I did not know enough to help them, and it was not very long ago. But, what God showed me, what Jesus showed us, is how to love. So, my friends, if you know how to love like Jesus loved, then you know enough. The theological stuff, the, the fine points, the little details, they will come in time. It's if you love. And if you do, maybe it's time to join a group or start a group or create an environment in which you can feed those who are hungry, those who have questions, those who have doubts, and who aren't sure. Not because you know it all, not because you're greater than, because you're in service 
to someone because you love them. I was thirsty, he goes on. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Essentially the same point. He goes on further. I was a stranger and you invited me in, to which you all say in Western America, we say, ooh, a stranger? Ooh, not sure about that. That's where I draw the line. I don't know what this looks like for you, but I was a little convicted myself the last few weeks. Um, for example, we have had a stranger, someone who is not related or connected or even consciously knows that they have been a part of our community for the last few weeks. And this little child was born into a world in which for the first week or two of its life, spent it at the University of Iowa's intensive care going through drug withdrawals. And eventually the parents' rights have been terminated, and the child is a ward of the state. We've been trying to figure out, making sure it has food and everything that it needs. But my friends, that little baby is a stranger. That little baby is far from the only stranger, the only baby, the only child in need in our county, and our state. And it got me thinking, just throwing this out here, I mean, what if every family at Infuse, every family who considers Infuse their church home, fostered for two weeks a year, for a month a year, for two months a year, you can decide I don't know if you knew that. What if, what, if, what if we did that? What if you just provided respite for full-time foster care families to just get a break from fostering for a few weeks, and you just take a child for two weeks? You can do that. Come on. You don't even have to be a Jesus follower to get this one. Do you think that would make a difference? Do you think that you have some love that you could spare to someone else to a child who does not even legally have parents for two weeks, a year? Do you think you could find time in your busy schedule to take the, couple of the courses that you need to take to be a foster family and love on the people, the children who need it most, who I think we can all agree didn't deserve the slot in life that they've gotten so far? And I realize it is really easy for the first things to come into our minds to justify it away. I know because it does mine as well is, well, I have work. I have um, projects to get done. I have things around the house to get done. I have kids to take care of. All this stuff. I realize you have all of that stuff. But there are some people in this world, there are some children in this world who do not have any of it or perhaps a different way, do not have anything. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. See, washing feet can look really different. Sometimes it's just a matter of asking God, hey God, could you open up my heart to love those people who need it most, and what would that look like in my life? And I get it. It is not easy. I'm not standing up here and saying, oh, it is glorious, okay, by any stretch. As some of you know, my mother-in-law um, adopted, and I have not been, I will tell you, I've not been the best brother-in-law. It is hard, but they have been through a hard life. And I just think, 
that sometimes when we love others, it's God just challenging us to grow in our love for his children. Jesus goes on, I needed clothes and you clothed me. Self-explanatory. I, I was sick, and you looked after me. Self-explanatory. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I don't know if you knew this. We have a prison just down the road. And I'm guessing there are some men in that prison who could use a little direction. And dare I say a little love that they have never received in, our life and in, in their lives, and in part why they're there. The prison that I go to visit is not here. But the prison that I go to visit, you cannot wash the inmates' feet because it is no contact, because of the ward in which they're on. They call it the special confinement unit, otherwise known as death row. But, but, let me tell you, sitting across from those inmates, giving them your time when time is the thing that they have so little of, it's about the same as washing their feet. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Why? Why do we do that? A new command I give you. Love one another. Next slide. Love, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, 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 if you love one another. And then just before Jesus went into heaven, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus said these big, famous, infamous words. He said, go out and make disciples of all the worlds. In other words, go make people who love, and baptize them, and teach them to obey every command, command that I have given. And I will be with you at the very end of the age. Just imagine for a second. Imagine if the church, the body of Christ, the church as a whole, all two plus billion Jesus followers, got this right. Imagine if all the churches in our county got this right. So much so that the world, so much so that the 80 plus thousand people in our county who do not consider themselves religious in any way would look in at Jesus' followers, would look in at the church and say, you know what, that new covenant thing, still not sure I understand it. Sure not, sh I'm not sure I under, uh, follow it. I'm not sure I want to be a part of it. I don't get it quite yet. I struggle with the whole trusting Jesus thing. Sounds weird, um, but, but look at how they love. I have never had, think about this, what if people would say, I have never had a more caring and compassionate boss. They get things done, but I never feel underappreciated. I always feel like they're fair. I feel like they care. Would that make a difference in your life right now, if that was the case? What if people would say, you know what, I don't get what they all believe, but I hope my son or daughter would marry one of them. I'm not even sure I agree with it, but I know they will be best served by marrying a Jesus follower. I want to hire them. I want to hire them. I want them to be on my team because our clients 
always feel cared for and taken care of. And I feel like they work hard, not just for the sake of working hard, but because they know it's the right thing to do. I want them to be on my team. I want them to be on my committee. I want them to be a part of my parent-teacher group. I want them to be in our schools. I want them to meet in our schools. Imagine. And that's what these 15 Sundays are about. Because if you answer the question, who is Jesus, and you decide to trust that he is who he says he is, and he did what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and James told us he did, then this is the church that we should be. And these are the Jesus followers we should be, and this will make a difference in the world. And I know that because it has in the past, and I think we've gotten away from it as a church and as a whole, but I know we can get back there. So at the very least, I just pray that when you lead this series, depending on what you've taken away, that you would at least imagine the implications of what this would look like. And if you feel so called to actually follow Jesus and live it out and be that, to the world. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll sing one more song and get you out of here. Heavenly Father, I just first want to pray for all those people here this morning who have made a decision, who have said, you know what, I've sat through this series, maybe it was halfway through the series, maybe it was three-quarters through the series, maybe it's today that I've just decided that, you know what, I've resisted God, I've resisted Jesus for too long. It is hard to see. In fact, it is He is almost irresistible. It's hard to see how this would not be in the benefit of myself and others to follow him. And therefore, I put my trust in Jesus. And if that is your decision today, Lord, I just pray for those people who have made that decision, who would not walk out of here and just go into the rest of their Sunday, just go into Monday as it's just another day. But you would be there as a reminder. Their heart would be changed so that Monday morning, they're loving and changing the lives of those around them because you loved them first. That you are walking with them to show your love to them. That you cared for them, that you've died for them. And you want the best for them. Lord, I just pray for all the people in this room who have followed you for, for months now, maybe years, that we would not forget that, she, that your son was so clear that to be a disciple means loving like he loved. And Lord, any time we step away from that, you would give us the wisdom. You would give us people in our lives, whatever it would take. You would give us a church in our lives to help walk onto the right path and not stray away from that truth. That as we learn, as we grow, we understand you more. We would never waver from that central idea. Lord, I just invite everyone here in this room this morning to just pray a simple prayer. Lord, I just want to trust you, to follow you, and to love like you have loved, and to never forget the love that you have shown me so that I can show it to the world. And maybe today is not the day in which all that you pray this prayer, but I invite you at some point, maybe it's tonight or months from now, that you would consider what that would look like and one day pray that prayer and that God would open your heart and your mind to that truth and to his love.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.